In the mid to late 1800s, John G. Payton and his wife were Scottish missionaries to the New Hebrides in the South Pacific. One night, hostile tribesmen surrounded their mission headquarters with the intention of burning it down and killing both Payton and his wife. The two of them prayed all night long, asking God for deliverance, and when daylight came, they were surprised to see their attackers leave. A year later, the chief of the tribe who was attacking them uh, was converted to Christianity and Peyton took the opportunity that day to ask him, well, wh- why didn't you actually attack us that night? And the chief replied, well, who were those men who were with you? And he said, there was no men with us, it was just me and my wife. And, but the chief said that they had seen hundreds of big men in shining clothes with drawn swords in their hands circling the mission station and so they were afraid to attack. Peyton realised that God had sent his angels to, to protect them. And I've heard several similar stories of missionaries being protected uh, under similar circumstances. But John Payton didn't always experience God's provision in that same sort of miraculous way. His His first wife died because of complications during childbirth and 17 days later his child also died. He even had to dig the graves for himself. But even so, he knew that the Lord was with him. He wrote, I was never altogether forsaken. The ever merciful God sustained me to lay the precious dust of my loved ones in the same quiet grave. But for Jesus and the fellowship he there gave to me out of his grace, I would have gone mad and died beside that lonely grave. So, at different times... Peyton experienced the grace of God saving him and his family from certain death and he also had the experience of the sustaining presence of God as he suffered the tragic loss of those that he loved most. But the overall experience, whether it be a tale of loss or be a story of triumphant, miraculous deliverance, the overall experience was one of the advance and the growth of the kingdom of God. Today's topic I've given the title Passionate Prayer and the Relentless Advance of God's Kingdom. Today we we had the story of the tragic death of James, of the triumphant deliverance of Peter and of the righteous judgment of God upon the narcissistic King Herod. But the overall message is summed up in verse 24 where it says, But the word of God increased and multiplied. Herod had the Apostle James killed. Now, it's important for us to get these characters right and not get them confused. We're talking about James the Apostle, uh, James the son of Zebedee. Uh, around about this same time, James the brother of Jesus starts becoming quite, quite prominent in the leadership of the early church. So we'll be see, seeing more and more of, of James the brother of Jesus. This is a different James who has just been killed. Okay. Uh, and also Herod, we'll all know probably that, that uh, Herod tried to kill Jesus when he was a little baby. Well, this Herod that we're talking about is actually Herod's grandson. Okay, so two different fellows. And when Herod saw that it pleased the Jews very much that he had killed James, he thought, right, oh, we're on to a good thing here. Uh, and so he thought he'd do some more of it. And so he locks up Peter. And he's just waiting for the Passover to finish so that 
so that he can have Peter executed as well. And I just love verse 5. It begins, so Peter was kept in prison. Right, so he's about to be executed. He's on death row. He's being kept in prison. But that's not the last word on the matter because verse 5 continues, but earnest prayer for him was being made to God by the church. And we know that the last word always belongs to God. We need to remember this. Whatever situation you're in, no matter how hopeless it looks, God always has the last word on the matter. Peter's situation looked absolutely hopeless. As Justin was saying with the kids today, it was just something which was just impossible for him. I mean, he had four teams of guards, four guards in each team. That's 16 men tasked to keep a 24-hour watch on just him. He's changed between two guards, another two guards outside the locked door. What hope was there of him ever escaping? He was in an absolutely hopeless predicament, except for verse 5. But earnest prayer for him was being made to God by the church. And how often have we seen, sorry, seen seemingly hopeless situations being overturned when the church has earnestly prayed to God? Now that word earnestly, it's talking about a fervent prayer. It's talking about passionate prayer. What our churches need today are disciples of Jesus who pray passionately for God's kingdom. One commentary I read while I was preparing for today, the author was lamenting over the modern day church practices and how our modern day church practices often bring about a coldness or a boredom or even a cynicism within the church. And this is what he says. He says, contemporary society is also the era of entertainment, which has replaced passion as a means of attracting people in church and society. And he goes on to say, many Christians have not had a vibrant experience of God. People do not want to be passionate about anything. And so we play it safe with our spirituality. And his conclusion was that all of these sorts of attitudes that we live with and we've been brought up with hinder earnestness in prayer. It hinders passion in prayer. I think he's got a point. As disciples of Jesus, we're called to be passionate about our faith, to be passionate in our love for God, to be passionate in our love for others, to be passionate about God's mission, to be passionate about the kingdom of God and to be passionate about grace and mercy and justice and sanctification and holiness. A church filled with passionate disciples of Jesus attracts people to Jesus because they're attracted to the passion. But where does the passion come from? It's not something we generate. It's something that comes from God himself. But the problem is today when there's a shortage of passion, well, that's okay because we've got some great substitutes. And his point was that churches attract through entertainment because there's a lack of passion within our ranks. Now, 
I don't know about you, I I love good worship. I I, I love good songs, I love good singers, I love good bands. I love the chance to be able to sit down every now and then and listen to a captivating speaker. I love them as much as the next person, but never, ever, if it is to be a substitute for the passion of the people. And a passionate church prays fervently for God's kingdom. When a church is passionate, the word of God increases and multiplies. And you understand, don't you, that when I'm talking about the church, I'm not talking about a Sunday morning worship service because you are the church. I've told you this once before. You know, we do the kid story. We put our CH, CH with a big gap in the middle. What's missing? You are. Okay. Um, And when you are, when I am, we all are together passionate about Jesus. That's when things happen. When we're passionate about Jesus in the workplace, when we're passionate about Jesus in the school grounds, when we're passionate about Jesus on our days off or in our family or in our home or in our social life or in our relationships, when we're passionate about, passionate about Jesus in every sphere of our life, that's where the word of God increases and multiplies. James was passionate about Jesus Christ and he was executed because of it. Are you that passionate about Jesus? I don't think any of us will truly know until that test actually comes. Um, And that test may be coming. Peter was passionate about Jesus Christ and he was put on death row. The church in Jerusalem were passionate about Jesus and they prayed passionately for Peter's release and he was released. King Herod did all that he could to stop the word of God from getting out, but King Herod did not have the last word on the matter. King Jesus gets the last word, not King Herod. And when Herod, he actually dressed himself up in a shimmering silver robe and he went out to these people who were totally dependent upon him and he delivers this speech and he received all of these accolades from his dependent subjects and they bowed down, oh, the voice of God, not of a man. And he kept all of that accolade for himself instead of giving glory to God. And he was struck down and he died. A Jewish historian, Josephus, actually records the event as well. And he says he was immediately struck down with severe stomach cramps and he died a few days later. Herod thought that he was going to stop the word of God. But God had the last word. Herod died. But verse 24 says, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Herod didn't stop it, not at all. If it ever appears that God didn't get the last word, or that the kingdom of darkness seems to have overcome God's kingdom? Well, that's just because God hasn't finished yet. When James was killed, the kingdom of darkness had not won. God just hadn't finished. If Peter dies today, the kingdom of darkness has not won over the Neville family because God has not finished. 
And I know we gain a great deal of encouragement we actually, when we actually get to see with our own two eyes God intervening into our circumstances in miraculous ways. The story that Justin told about, about this fellow offering them the lift when it just seemed impossible. Things like that just really give us encouragement and, and help to build our faith. But don't get down when God seems to be absent. Don't get discouraged. When we remain faithful to God and when we're passionate about Jesus and that passion comes through in our prayers, don't get discouraged because remember, God will have the last word. And the word of God will increase and it will multiply and the kingdom of God will grow. We can count on that. Even death isn't the last word. At the, la- at the sound of a trumpet and the voice of God, the dead in Christ will rise. That's our faith. We've been promised this. Is it any wonder that we can afford to be passionate in our faith? No matter what it costs, no matter what it might seem the consequences to be. We can afford to be passionate in our faith. Even if we get knocked down now, God will have the last word. And what an amazing word that's going to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that we can trust you with our whole lives. Lord, we want to thank you that you always get the last word. And we want to thank you that that word is always a good one. Lord, I just want to pray for us here in this church. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would rekindle the blaze within us that is the thing called passion. Lord, please let us never become a group of people who try to uh, generate excitement through entertainment. But Lord, I pray that we would have a passion for you that would just spill out in our words, that would spill out in the way we live our lives, that would, would spill out in our worship to you. Lord, fill us with your passion. Lord, today also I want to pray for the persecuted church. Compared to a lot of the world, we get it pretty easy. And yet I've heard testimonies of persecuted Christians who would say we would never trade places with you people in the West. Lord, I pray for strength for them. Lord, I pray that they would endure and that they would be able to trust you completely and that they would be witnesses for you. And I pray this for us too. In Jesus' name. Amen.